0: Please turn your Bibles to the New Testament book of Ephesians and we're going to be in chapter 4 and we'll start in verse 25 for the next few verses. If you haven't been with us in a while or if you are if this is your first time here, we are in a series entitled 1 and we are exploring what Nova Community Church can learn from a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Ephesus. I don't know if you noticed today, but I'm wearing a new shirt. (laughs) And I know some of you said, hey, that's a nice shirt, and I'm so glad you noticed. Um, uh, Someone from the Nova family gave this to me for Christmas, and I chose the Right warm day to wear a short sleeve uh, summer shirt. I love this shirt. It's it's nothing like I have in my uh, in my shirt wardrobe. Um, I don't know if you ever heard this proverb before. Clothes make the man. Clothes make the man. The Wall Street Journal said an article. It had this fascinating article about the way. The clothes we wear impacts how others see us. Um, Some of the information in the article seems counterintuitive. Um, It it goes on to say that college students pay more attention to a professor who wears jeans and a t-shirt than one who dons the traditional professional attire of a suit and tie. It goes on to say again employees in high-priced retail boutiques Know the customer to pay the most attention to is the one who came in wearing their workout clothes. Depending on the setting and the context, the most impressive clothes you can be wearing are clothes that weren't designed to impress at all. Although the proverb, clothes make the man, seems like sort of a generic pitch made by Don Draper in the TV series Mad Men, The proverb means that people will judge you by the clothes that you wear. And it has a pretty impressive literary pedigree. Erasmus, who was a a Catholic priest, a theologian, and a social critic, he was perhaps the first to say this um, in the 1500s. Vestis, the room, face it, which means clothes makes the man. William Shakespeare went on to say, the apparel oft proclaims the man, and uh, my favorite is Mark Twain, and Mark Twain said this, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on society. (laughs) Don't think too long and hard about that, but, uh, you know, it's not true physically, It, it But it's true. It's true spiritually. And we're going to look at some scriptures regarding that today. When you become a Christian, the Bible says you get a new set of spiritual clothes. And when we cross the line of faith, when we trust in Jesus Christ with our lives, the Bible describes this as putting on Christ. And we receive this new spiritual identity and new responsibilities. The Apostle Paul wrote to a church in a city called Colossae, a letter of instruction. And in, in chapter 3 in our, in our Bibles, it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Romans chapter 13, it says, So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Rather... Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And in Galatians chapter 3, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Some some real vivid word pictures, some real vivid metaphors about uh, taking off certain clothes and putting on other clothes in our spiritual life. Last week, we looked at chapter 40 of ephesians in verses 17 through 24 and the question that we talked about was um, when we get new life how do we grow how do we mature in our in our in our new life And today's text in ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 through 28 tells us practically real practical words how we must live especially in our relationships with one another it's all about how to live out our life. And we find this all in the second half of Ephesians. Where the first half, we've talked about all the, 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 the deep theological concepts, the doctrines of our faith. And then we cross into chapter 4, and it, it, it's just practical life advice on how to live as a Christian. And we're going to see that. It's almost like a seminar in honesty, and anger, and generosity here in these verses. Let me read this to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Very practical words in God's word for us today. Let's take a look at what this new life is all about. What new life is and. And it's a—it's simply, you, you can just look at the scripture, our text today, and and you could make your own outline, and so it's pretty simple. It's in your notes. It's a new kind of truth. It's a new kind of anger. It's a new kind of generosity. First, it's a new kind of truth. In verse 25 of chapter 4, it says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, and then as we just look at that passage, we can say what the next point would be. Pretty easy, it's put off falsehood. Put off falsehood. The first thing we think of after reading verse 25, we think about lying. That is what we think. But falsehood is bigger than lying. It's, it's, it's a lot deeper, it's a lot wider than lying. It's, it's not just lying. It's, it is lying, and that's kind of obvious, but it's, it's all forms of deception, Maybe a better word for uh, it's a new kind of truth probably would be it's a new kind of transparency rather than truth. If I'm living a transparent life, if I'm living a life that's transparent, there's no deception, there's no duplicity, there's nothing to hide, and there's nothing false. It's what you see is what you get if I'm living a new kind of truth. It's what you get when you see Jesus. When you read about Jesus, you get what you see. It's, that's the way he lives his life. It's, it's, it's a life of transparency. It's a life of truth. So what does God think about falsehood anyways? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. We'll put this on the screen. You can maybe make a note and read it later on, but it says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. And, and Jesus even names, this is a product, this is a, a value, a characteristic of the enemy. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus talking about the enemy. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I mean, it's it's, it's strong, but this is the enemy, full of deception, full of falsehood, full of lies. And if we're to put on a new life, and if we're to, to, to live out a new kind of truth and transparency and to put off or take off the worldly culture around, what does that really look like anyways? Well, I, I thought, let's identify some common lies in deception that you could put off and there's you'll have to find some place on your notes or some place to write these down these are the just the common and I'll, I'll just call them acceptable it seems that they're acceptable in our culture of lies and deception that we as as people living a new life need to put off take off this and the first is flattery and flattery is this when I say one thing to your face and I say something different to others Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. And flattery is the language of a manipulator. It's it's often to manipulate, and it's like setting a trap for someone. These are the common and somewhat acceptable um, ways that people put uh, put on lies and deception. The second we'll call half-truths. And these are true words, but they're meant to deceive. And when you read about this in in Genesis chapter 20, there's um, a man, the father of faith, Abraham, who had some problems telling half-truths. He was married to a very attractive, a hot woman named Sarah. And uh, they found themselves in a region where there were kingly leaders, Pharaoh and Abimelech. And Pharaoh and Abimelech, these kingly leaders had harems of beautiful women because he was trying to protect himself Abraham told his wife to if they ever ask you just tell them you're my sister now the truth of the matter is Sarah was his half-sister true words but they were meant to imply we're not married and it was all to protect himself now Sarah was taken into those harems however God protected her physically now Abraham was rebuked by God because he told a half-truth. And what's interesting is you read through and you see that the sons of Abraham, who were probably observing sort of this half-truthness of Abraham's life, went on to tell lies about their own spouses. So we have flattery is a common and acceptable deception, half truth. and the third we'll call buyer beware. And this is where deceiving in business or lying in business but not with my friends and family. This is essentially a double standard that's sort of acceptable in today's culture. If you're family or a beloved friend, I'll shoot straight with you. But if it has anything to do with a customer, a potential client, or you're trying to get something out of somebody, well, I don't have to be honest with you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And these are just the common things that I think you know, you've seen them, and maybe even practice some of these because they're acceptable in today's culture. So it's not just putting off falsehood. The second thing we can look from verse 25 is speaking the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 is where I get this from. It says, Paul writes, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Now get this, truth without love, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is sentimentality, and neither does us any good. And for those who are new Christians, I want to give you some warnings. People will sometimes use the word love loosely. People might say to you, now I'm saying this in love, but when those words come out, a lot of times there's no love to be found. Or whenever anyone ever comes up to you and says, you know I love you, well, you know you should protect yourself. Put on the catcher's gear. Because something's coming. When people say, speak the truth in love, what I'm saying is, making the other person's interests more important than your own. And many of us, many of us carry the scars of words that were true, but love was absent. But at the same time, if I decide to give you love, but I withhold the truth from you, I haven't done a lot of good either. Agreed? Yeah. Proverbs 27 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Some, someone who loves you and tells you a hard truth, you can trust that. But when someone's kissing up to you and they really don't like you, they're setting you up for a trap. It's pretty simple. You know, someone... Maybe in the workplace or in your family, they'll say to you, um, you should wipe your nose, right? And you hear that. And you go, oh, okay, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. Someone comes up to you and says, um, your zipper's down. And you go, oh, okay, thanks. Got it. Turn your back and zip up. <laughs> Funny story. First time I preached in a, the church that we planted, it was the second Sunday. It was terrible. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I even shudder. I mean, I have, I have problems even to this day, 34 years later. First time I preached in the church that we planted 34 years ago. I'm sitting out there. Worship team's up here. We're at this grungy um, school cafeteria. It's great days. And, uh, and so anyways, it was time for me to preach. So the worship team finished their song, and then I stand up, and I, I'm walking this way to come up front, and a guy's walking right past me. And he whispers in my ear, your zipper's down. And so I'm walking up like this, and I I'm standing there. <laughs> and when I checked, my zipper wasn't down. That was bad. It was really don't ever do that to anybody. Uh, get a nervous tick as I'm walking up here all the time. <laughs> Everyone needs a friend that loves them deeply and tells them the truth. I have two friends in my life um, that are like my brothers. They're family. They're families. We're, we're family together. And they'll always tell me the truth, even when it hurts. And I have no problem with it because I know they have my best interest. A lot of times if we're unsure about something we should say to our spouse or to our kids or to our boss or to somebody, some hard words, and we're unsure, we're on the phone and we're talking to each other. And we always start those, this with, um, I need to run something past you. And they'll give us, they'll give me my honest, their honest interpretation of what's going on. Everyone needs a friend like that. It's speaking the truth in love in our lives. You see, it's not just a, a new kind of truth, a new kind of transparency, but number two, it's a it's a new kind of anger. And this is interesting. It's a new kind of anger. Ephesians chapter four. Verses 26 and 27. It says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not grieve. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, the first point you could make here is be angry without sin. How do we do that? Some people think that Jesus was a soft spoken, passive, milquetoast sort of weak man. And if you're a Christian, some people think you're never supposed to be angry. But anger is not a sin it's what we do with our anger that might be sinful and there is no sin in being angry anger is an emotion you can't command someone not to feel something in the old testament alone 499 times god's wrath his fury his anger is mentioned in 1220 times in the old testament god's mercy his forgiveness his love, his compassion are mentioned. Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. In the gospel accounts in the life of Jesus, the Pharisees were, were, were making these rules about the Sabbath. You can't do this, you can do this, you shouldn't do this, and it goes on and on and on. And Jesus was just had enough after a while. One of the rules was you can't heal on the Sabbath. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Jesus being angry. So let's do this. Let's talk about um, what is a sinful response to anger. If anger is not sinful in itself, what's a sinful response to it. The first is an angry outburst. Now this could be verbally, this could be physically, this could even be online, right? It happens on social media, it happens through emails and all of that. An angry outburst is a sinful response to your anger. Everyone has hot buttons in their life and when one or more of my hot buttons get pushed, anger, I experience anger. But remember, These hot buttons are my hot buttons. I'm responsible for the response when you push those buttons. And I don't blame the button pusher. I've got to deal with that myself. It's an angry outburst. It's a sinful response. Another one is seeking my own revenge. Seeking my own revenge. It's okay to seek justice. It's not okay to carry out justice. Certain authorities are put into place in our world to carry out justice. And it's okay for you to experience anger and cry out to God to to take justice in God your own hands. It's sort of like, sick God, I'm so mad. Romans chapter 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will replay, repay, says the Lord. So you have an angry outburst, is a sinful response, a, a seeking my own revenge, and the third is slander. And boy, does this happen a lot. Slander is when I share my anger and accusation with those who are not involved. And you see this so much in today's world on social media, especially when it comes to politics. You see this a lot. and It's, it's an irresponsible way to get even when you're angry is slander. The second thing we could, we could say in this new way to have anger is don't let the sun go down. And this is a way to deal with your anger. This does not mean chase people down, to try to reconcile your anger with them when it's urgently convenient for you. Now, some of you are slow processors, and you're maybe introverted, and you're very thoughtful, and you're married to a verbally skilled, impatient, let's-do-it-right-now spouse. And anytime you have a conflict, that let's-do-it-now spouse is after you. And you're thinking, I just need some time to process this. I'm feeling certain feelings right now. Can you give me a minute? Can you give me a half hour? And you're at that bedroom door knocking on that door. We need to talk about this. I I can't let that sun go down on my anger. But you just need to deal with that, and you need to reconcile all of that. Simply this. Don't, don't avoid dealing with your anger, and don't stew in your anger. It's interesting, when, I, when you read in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul was quoting the Old Testament when he said, be angry and do not sin. In Psalm 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this, tremble and do not sin. Now, The word tremble here, a lot of times we think of tremble as we're afraid of something. But the tremble in the Hebrew here is about, is is not being afraid, it's, that's the tremble here. That's the, I'm so mad, tremble. Tremble and do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your heart and be silent. Reflect on your anger. Be angry and do not sin, but reflect on your anger. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. It says, be angry and don't sin, but reflect on the anger. Why am I so angry? What's going on? And then do the right thing. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous. Do the right thing. And this is what Paul was quoting from. Last one on a new kind of anger is don't give the devil a foothold. Bitterness is like, a, is like Satan's favorite garden. And he plants all kind of bitterness in my garden and in your garden. And at the end of the day, bitterness is simply keeping score. It's something that's happened in the sports world, in professional sports, is, over the last three years, it's, it's, it's interesting. Video replay, Right? You see it in basketball. And, you know, the athletes are moving so fast, and, there's, and referees get blocked out of, of seeing certain calls. And when, you, when, they, when they make a call, but some people in the stands think, oh, I don't know, and coach definitely thinks, oh, I don't know, the referees will call for video replay. And when I choose to live my life in video replay, in replay mode, and I play that bitter scene in my life over and over and over and over again. I play it in slow motion. I play it in super slow motion. I, I play it in high definition. I look at every angle of what happened and why I'm so angry. I look at it in, in enhanced mode. I look at it frame by frame by frame by frame. And I analyze everything. And when I do that, this is what some of us do over and over and over again and it creates bitterness in our life. And when bitterness takes hold in our life, the devil gets a chance to have a foothold in your life. And when you do that, this enemy gains his foothold because what we should do is we should make that in the past, give it over up to God, and not put it in this never-ending replay loop in our minds. Proverbs chapter 19 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So it's a new kind of transparency. That's the clothes we put on. It's a new kind of anger. That's what we put on. And the third, and we'll go through this real quick because we'll pick it up again at another point in this in this study through this book. Number three, it's a new kind of generosity. A new kind of generosity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And simply, three points here, you can extract them from this verse pretty easy. Don't steal, work hard, and be generous. Don't steal. Be aware. I would say for most of us, stealing isn't our big issue. I'm hoping stealing isn't our big issue. Um, But I've been thinking about this this week, and and I've been thinking, where does stealing come from? And I think it comes from a a high level of self-focus, a high level of selfishness, a self-centeredness. And I need to stop and be aware of how What are my actions when I become very self-focused and self-centered? Because when that happens, I just want to be a consumer. I just want to consume as much as I can. I want to consume as many resources as I can. I want to consume as much money as I can. And I want to consume as as many things as I can. And I want to use all the time for myself. And what I've been doing, it's not the only application to this, and I... I'm kind of surprised that I've I've come to this application in my own life. But I'm becoming more and more aware of my self-centeredness when it comes to consuming environmental resources in my life. And I think about my consumption of things that are plastic in my life when I really don't need to do that. I've pretty much eliminated consuming things that are made out of styrofoam in my life because I see that it just doesn't break down. But when I think about stuff like that, I think, ah, I I don't care. I'll just put it in the trash and I won't see it again. Really? Will I never see that again? So I'm trying to use more reusable containers. I'm thinking about the future. I'm I'm, I'm trying to do this. And it begins with just a self-awareness for me and, and I'll take my steps with that. But I'm thinking, if I'm so self-focused that I'm sort of stealing these things away from others and maybe even future generations, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren later. Don't steal. And work hard. Be, I, I, I've been thinking about being useful in my vocation as I grow older. Developing others in my vocation. The staff and and others around me, that they would be better than I would ever be after I retire one day. And coaching young guys to be as best as they can be and cheering others on, cheering others on to say you're doing so good and, and encouraging them and affirming them and wanting that for me in my age right now. I need to work hard in those things. And I need to make a lot of money so that I can share with others. Don't steal. Work hard. Be generous with your money. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your resources. So do clothes really make a difference in the person? No. Not physically. But spiritually, the Bible tells us that we need to put off or take off the ways of the world and to put on just a whole new way, a new way of truth and a new way of anger and a new way of generosity. Amen?